The end is near. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Doug Birch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So what do you think if I say we are in the last days, in the end times? Does that make you frightened? Does it make you think I'm going to start a commune or a compound and wait for Christ's return? What do end times mean to you? There is a lot, and I do say a lot of misinformation when it comes to studying the end times. Here's a hint. End times, last days, those are good things, things we can be excited about. We'll talk about the end of all things on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Doug Bursch. Uh, I pastor a church in the Seattle area. I'm an author uh, of oh, two books. My latest book is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. If you've ever just been disillusioned with social media, the divisiveness, the polarization, but you want to know what to do about it, then I really would encourage you to read the book. Works great also with small groups, church groups, any group, really. I want you to read the book. But today I want to talk about the end of all things, end times. Now, some people didn't even listen to this podcast. They turned away when I said the words because there's so much misinformation when it comes to end times. If you were raised in the church, uh, you might have even been raised in an environment where they did uh, prophecy seminars and some guy would come in and tell you who the Antichrist was or who isn't the Antichrist. And there's all these end times, times tables and such. But uh, I want to just look at end times from the clearest perspective of the Bible. In this sense that there's a lot of things in the Bible that is uncertain. And I'll just bring some things out of the beginning. I'm not going to spend the show talking about this. But I am so not interested in people's millennial or millennialism views. You know, am I pre-millennial? post-millennial, a-millennial, pre-trib, post-trib. Now, some of you are like, I don't know any of that stuff. And I'd say, I'm so glad you're not a part of that kind of argumentation. But there's all kinds of people where, okay, uh, the Bible says that Christ is going to take first uh, in the rapture Christians and believers, and the rest will be left behind for a thousand years. And there's, there's different arguments to these. And I I've actually helped write, I was um, oh, editing a theology book that gave all the different arguments for millennialism, and some people are, before persecution occurs, Christians will be taken away. After persecution occurs, Christians will be taken away. Somewhere in the middle of persecution, Christians will be taken away. Christians won't be taken away at all. Um, millennialism, even the whole concept, pre-trib, all that rapture, it, it doesn't you know exist in the Bible, it does exist in the Bible, and there's all these arguments. What I've found is there's a lot of people who have different opinions on this. The Bible is simply just not that clear on it. I know that'll offend people, but the fact that there are just so many opinions within conservative groups and progressive groups shows me that the Bible just really isn't that clear on it. And if you're someone like, well, it is clear on it, okay, that's fine. But one of my biggest issues has been, so what? 
it doesn't really matter to me if Christ returns before a great tribulation. And you say, well, why is that, Doug? Well, because in life we need to be prepared. Whether or not there's some grand tribulation that we escape or we go through, we all know, and if you know anything about history or the present, that Christians are going through tribulations. They go through fa- you know, famines, uh, murders, genocide. Terrible things happen to Christians and have happened to Christians in the past and in the present and in the future. So the idea of somehow knowing whether I will escape some big tribulation or not, influencing how I live, it just doesn't. I'm supposed to live prepared for whatever. Whatever comes, I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's always been my argument. Well, regardless of your opinions, how does it change how I live my life? How does it change how I live daily? And that's the same with millennial views. And I know some people really get upset with this, that it's very important for me to know that Christ will reign for a thousand years on earth, and then this will happen, and that'll I, I just can't find clarity on that. And even if I did, it doesn't change how I live my life. I have surrendered my life into the hands of God. I will serve him as best as I know how with all my being. And whatever comes, I'm going to receive. It's if, you know, even if you could convince me, well, it's this way or that way after the end of all things, um, I'm still going to walk in that direction. It's not going to make me go, well, then I'm not going to serve God if it's that. I've just decided to commit my life to Christ. Now, do people want to argue about that stuff, research that? Sure. But I think often a lot of it is not very fruitful. And it's often Christians hanging out with Christians, arguing about uh, things that may or may not happen. And I often think, well, what does it have to do with actually bringing the good news to people who are lost, people who are in darkness? But I want to get at something that is clear. And many Christians don't know this. Uh, The Bible is actually really clear about when the end times uh, are ushered in, when the last days are ushered in. The Bible is very clear about when the end times are ushered in and also about the fact that it is good news. It's not something to be afraid of. It's good news. Now, as a kid, I had got bad preaching about the end times, not from my parents, but just, you know, some evangelist or somebody scaring people online. You know, whenever there was something going on, uh, the Russians and the U.S. with nuclear proliferation. It's its the end times. Whenever someone is acting wicked in the world, there's the Antichrist, and here's what's coming next. And it was very fear-based. And so what did I do? I avoided the issue altogether. I was like, I just don't want to talk about it. But I missed out on how the scripture has some really good things to say about the end times, that when you learn this, you get excited. You're no longer afraid about last days. And so that's what I want to bring to you. Uh, you know, a great theologian that talks a lot about how to look at end times would be Gordon Fee. There's others as well. Gordon Fee has radically influenced my view of the end times as he studied scripture and studied the Apostle Paul and Revelations. And so a lot of what I bring to you today is, is not new to me or, you know, it doesn't come from me. It comes from others who've spoken into my life. But here's the question. When are the end times ushered in? Or when have the end times been ushered in? And here's the answer. It has already happened. You say, Doug, well, how do you know that? 
Uh, are you predicting something? No, I'm not predicting anything. And it has nothing to do with the last election or the election before that. The end times have already been ushered in, and I know that because Scripture says that. So I want us to go to the Scripture that just tells us how to view the end times and how this will help you when you deal with people who are you know, hunkering away and storing supplies and provisions for Armageddon, okay? So here in Acts 2, uh, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter stands up and he explains what is happening. So everyone is waiting. Jesus said, wait uh, so that you're clothed with power from on high so that you can be my witnesses. And I've preached on this before, but when Jesus is saying witness, it's not witness like this, that you're going to go out and preach my name. It's witness more in the concept of like a court or legal expression. A witness is someone who experienced the event, right? Who was the witness to the crime, the people who were in the room as the crime happened. Uh, Not hearsay, not somebody told me, so now I'm telling you, but that they actually witnessed it. Well, Jesus says, before you go out into the world, I want you to wait so that you're clothed with power from on high, so that you can be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. What he means by that is, I want you to witness me, to experience me in Jerusalem, in Judea, to the ends of the earth. Wherever you go, you need to witness me. And that's why we wait for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is relationship with God. When we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, we witness God's presence. God is with us. So Jesus says very practically, don't leave without me. Don't Or don't think, well, I only exist in Jerusalem, or I only exist in these places where you once found me. I'm going to go wherever you are scattered. And if I'm with you, you're going to be okay no matter what comes next. So they wait. They wait for the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost, uh, it was celebrated uh, during this time as the day where the Israelites received the law. So if you look at the church calendar, there was Passover and then there was Pentecost. And Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, so you got the 49th, 50th day. So basically, the concept was uh, on Passover, we were freed from our bondage to the Egyptians. We were led out into the wilderness. But in the wilderness, we didn't know what to do. And so God gave us the law. And so on Pentecost, they would read scriptures about the giving of the law. We were freed from Egypt, but we didn't know how to live. So how did we learn how to live? We lived through the giving of the law. So you see that connection? Where's freedom from bondage? It's Passover. Where's how to live? It's on Pentecost. Well, uh, the disciples understood this. And so For the disciples, uh, when did Jesus die? And it wasn't just for the disciples, but for all of us, when did Jesus die? Well, he died uh, during the Passover. Why is that important? To show that he is the Passover lamb, that he is the one who frees us from bondage. He is our deliverance from bondage, right? So it's tied to Passover. So our Passover now is Easter, the resurrection, right? That that Jesus Christ is the one who freed us from bondage. So we were in bondage in Egypt, we were in bondage in our sins, and we're led out into the wilderness. But when we're in the wilderness, we still don't know what to do. We still don't know how to live our lives. And Jesus says, you don't know how to live your lives, and so wait. And so they wait. And God waits until Pentecost to pour out his Spirit. And there's a reason for that. 
Because on Pentecost, they're celebrating what? The giving of the law. The giving of the law is how they live their lives. So the Spirit is poured out. Uh, tongues of fire rest on everyone. They begin to prophesy. They begin to speak in other tongues. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to live out the kingdom, to witness the presence of God, and to do the will of God on earth. So what is Pentecost tied to? Well, it's tied to how do I live my life? So uh, in the Old Testament, before Christ, uh, what is freedom from bondage? Well, it's Passover, being led out of Egypt. How do you live your life? It's Pentecost, when the, the law is given, and we learn how to live uh, through the law, through handing the law to different generations, to valuing the word, right? New Testament, what is our Passover? Well, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus. What is our Pentecost? What is our giving of the law? It's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples knew, oh, we're not supposed to live based on the law. We live on relationship based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day that we celebrated the giving of the law. And that's why you see Paul, he often contrasts those two. Those who live according to the law, which would be the Jews, versus those who live according to the to the Spirit, Jews who've given their life to Christ, like before Christ, after Christ, before Christ, living according to the law, after Christ, living according to the Spirit. He says, so we don't live according to the law, or we don't live according to the flesh. And the flesh of people would be like Gentiles and others who don't even have the law, but they're just kind of living based on what they feel, what they sense. He says, we don't live based on that as well. We live based on the leading of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost. And by the way, I talk about this in my first book, The Community of God. I have a chapter talking about the Pentecost and Passover and these expressions, so you could see that. You could read that there. But that's actually not the main focus of what I'm talking about today. So stay with me. So the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost. Uh, they begin to speak in other tongues. People hear the mighty works of God being proclaimed in their own language, which is one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is poured out, so that we can proclaim and live out the mighty works of God, that we can do it in unison. Pentecost is like a, a, a restructuring of Babel. When we weren't serving God, God frustrated our languages, right? Because we're working for our own purposes. Uh, we're working for things contrary to the kingdom. But now that we've been saved and set apart and sanctified, now we are united through the Spirit so that we can reach people of every tongue, every tribe, and of every nation. Uh, Acts 2 very much is a reversal of what happened with the Tower of Babel. So then Peter stands up and he gives this sermon. And this sermon is about the last days. So let me read this, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and tongues that looked like fire appeared to them distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, to which we were born? 
Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Prigia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were jeering and saying they are full of sweet wine. So we don't know what happened here. Either they all had different languages that they were speaking and people heard things in their own language, or they were speaking a heavenly language and somehow it was translating to the ears of each person that was listening. We don't know where it occurred, in the language or in the hearing of the language. All we know, though, is that the Spirit is poured out so that now the body of Christ in unison can reach every tribe, every nation, every tongue, that every person will be able to witness the presence of God. So Peter stands up and says this, But Peter, taking his stand with the other eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day. I love that line, by the way. He doesn't say, these people are not drunk because we would never get drunk. <laughs> he just says, it's too early to be drunk. So that's not what's going on. So it tells you a little bit about this crowd, how they were respected among those around them. But Peter says, for these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. So Peter is going to tell us this is what's happening. This is what happened on Acts, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. He quotes from Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions, and your old men will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, Peter says it right here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. When were the last days ushered in? Right here. They begin right here on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter points out, Joel prophesied that there would come a day, a last day, where certain things would happen. And Peter is saying, you're seeing it now. And if you look at Old Testament prophecy, there were lots of prophecies about what would happen in the last days. In the last days, God would establish his righteousness on earth. He would judge sin. He would bring Gentile and Jew together at some level under his promises. He would take our hard heart and make it soft. He would abide with us. So there was the judgment of sin, there was the righteousness of God, but there was also the reconciliation of humanity and the reconciliation of one and another, and then also God being in our presence. And so Peter says, this is happening now. And I, I want to read this again. This is Joel's prophecy. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. So the spirit is being poured out on, on whom? On all mankind, on all humankind. 
Sons and daughters will prophesy. So the Spirit is poured out so that now both men and women can know the will of God in part, can proclaim the will of God, can live out the will of God. Notice that in this prophecy, it doesn't say, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your sons will prophesy to sons and daughters, your daughters will only prophesy to daughters or no one in particular. There's no limitations on this. So it means that daughters will prophesy. The Lord will give women things to speak, and they will speak those things, and whoever has ears to hear will listen and be taught by those women. It's very clear here. There's no like, well, it depends on the hierarchy and who's controlled and the head of the house and the head. There's none of that. It's that all flesh will have the Spirit of God, and all flesh will begin to prophesy, to speak, proclaim, to teach the good news of God to whomever will listen. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. Even on my male and female servants, so the lowliest in society, my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. You prophesy when you have an audience. You don't prophesy when no one needs to hear it. You prophesy when God wants to speak and work and act through you, both men and women. In the last days, the Spirit of God is poured out so that we can proclaim and live the good news of God to advance the purposes of God. His kingdom come, his will be done. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the sky above. Now, this is the part people misread, too. Peter is talking about what is happening in this moment. I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. So right now, they have tongues of fire resting upon people, just like the the cloud that rested upon uh, the Israelites, their encampment as they headed through the wilderness. Blood, the blood of Christ that is shed. The sun will be turned into darkness. On the day that Christ was crucified, the sun, it became dark, things turned dark, and the moon into blood. And I really believe they're talking about this, that there was probably a blood moon around the time Christ was crucified. Everything that Peter is talking about has happened. So he says, before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. What is he saying? The great and glorious day of the Lord has come to us through Pentecost, through the Holy Spirit being poured out. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when did the end times begin? They began at Christ's what? Death, resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament era is the end times, the last days. Now, there is an aspect of that the last days and the end times have been ushered in, but the fullness of that has not yet been revealed. So, it's and Gordon Fee uses this, other people use this as well, George Alden Ladd uses this, the Elden Ladd uses this, the concept of the already but not yet. Uh, in the end times, one of the prophecies of the end times is the resurrection of the dead. Has that occurred? Yes, but not completely. Christ is risen from the grave, but we have a future resurrection to come. So it's already but not yet. The righteousness of God being established. Has it been established? Yes. A sin has been defeated. Uh, forgiveness of sin has been given. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit as a sign of our righteousness standing before God. The righteousness of God has been revealed, but 
It already is here, but not yet. There will come another judgment when we all stand before the Lord. Does God dwell in our midst? Yes, he does, but it's still a shadow compared to what is to come. Has there been the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile and the breaking down and dividing walls of hostility between humans and God? That has been apportioned at the cross, but not everyone has received that yet. But I want you to hear me clearly. The end times have been ushered in. The end times, when you hear end times and last days, that's good news. Last days, end times, is Christ with us, the Holy Spirit in us, the kingdom of God advancing through us, men and women knowing the will of God, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and walking out the good news of Jesus in their lives. End times is every letter written in the Bible, every gospel written in the Bible, every story in the New Testament is an end times presentation. Living in the end times is good news. The rest of that stuff is so secondary to understanding this reality. And so many Christians, if I say to you end times, or the theological word eschatology, which is just another way to say studying the end times, they don't start here. But this is the good news. Peter can stand up and say, you know what's happening right now? That we're filled with the Spirit, that men and women, young and old, male and female, masters and servants are all filled with the Holy Spirit and now prophesying and living out the voice and the will of God. You know what this is a sign of? This is a sign that what Joel prophesied is coming about, that these are the last days and the end times. That's where my focus is going to be. All of us will live a last day end times, right? If Christ doesn't return before we die, we'll face our own last day, and we're all closer to our last day than we were the day before. But I don't want you to be afraid. As Christians, I just don't think we should waste our life fighting over the minutia or just the confusing, what does it even matter? Well, is it pre or post trib or is it, you know, a thousand years and figuratively or literally? I got opinions. I can share those. But the bigger issue is how do I live my life? Well, now this scripture changes how I live my life. Because recognizing that the end times were ushered in at the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, then I take seriously being filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as in the Old Testament, people were supposed to take seriously the law, and you were supposed to teach it from generation to generation, and just because grandpa lived it, it didn't mean the grandkids would live it, and so every generation needed to receive the law fresh and anew, it's the same with the Spirit. So whether or not uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, Every single one of us at some level has the opportunity to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to yield completely to what we've inherited through the cross, the ascension, the resurrection of Jesus, and him pouring out his Spirit upon all who would receive him. We are living in the end times. Don't be afraid. Teach about end times. Teach about last days but teach the good news of the end times and the last days. People who predict the end of it all, they don't know. Every generation does that, and every generation fails. And if I would say one thing, we must reject this foolish notion that God's end time tables are dependent upon America. There's nothing in the Bible 
There's nothing in anything that God has ever revealed to humanity that would say he somehow is making his decisions about last days based on what happens in America. America is no more important than any other country. Canada gets just as much as importance. Mexico gets just as much as importance. And that foolishness where Americans are full of fear, are full of hope, based on if their candidate wins or their positions get put into play, and that we literally believe that God is holding the whole world hostage based on what happens in America is incredibly self-focused and foolish. That's not supposed to be our heart. I mean, does he care about America? Yes, as much as he cares about every other single country in the world. And in fact, I don't think his maps look like our maps. I don't think he has the same borders that we have. I don't think he looks at the stability of the world based on what happens at those borders. Every person is made in the image of God. Every country, every nation, every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue has equal importance. And we are in the last days where God has poured out his spirit so that we can reach every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every race, every ethnicity with the good news of Jesus Christ. And every tongue and every tribe and every race and every ethnicity can reach us with the good news of Jesus Christ as well. And that's something worth celebrating Pastor, you're preaching. Time to close the sermon. Okay, I love you guys. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. If you could support what I'm doing, the best way to support what I'm doing right now is could you buy my book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It? Can you buy it? Can you recommend it? Can you do small groups? I want that message to get out. It's the best way to serve that part of the ministry I do, the writing part. It is a tremendous gift. I cannot overestimate or overcommunicate how important it is and how much I cherish this when you purchase something I've written and you read it and share it with others. Thank you to those of you who've done that. And for others, please, if it's on your heart, Uh, purchase what I've written. I want you to read it. I think it'll help your life. All right. Love you guys. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. I'll see you next time.